John 17, verses 6 through 13. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I no longer am in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I want you to get in mind, I want you to think about some scenario where someone showed that they clearly were concerned about you. So imagine that someone important to you, someone that cared enough about you to show your physical care, your safety was a priority to them. Your emotional well-being mattered to them. They cared about your future. They cared about your security. Maybe they could, maybe, maybe just maybe they could see further into the future than you could see. And because they were interested in your protection, they acted. They've been so committed to you. And that's demonstrated itself again and again. That kind of person, there's no doubt about play. It plays such an important role in your life, whoever he is, whoever she is. And that is the heart of Jesus. That is the heart of Jesus. We could sing like no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And he is the faithful friend that promised never to leave us. He said, I'm calling you friends. I'm committed to you no matter what. This is the heart of Jesus. And he's even the competent leader who is looking out for our best interest, willing to lay himself down, not to put himself first. By the way, he was always, for these disciples, he was always looking out for their not just temporary well-being, but their eternal well-being. The commitment that he had to them was not until it had kind of served its purpose and ran its course. His commitment to them was eternal and so we come to a passage where Jesus is talking to God the Father about these disciples. If you're an engineer, one way to appreciate and maybe even to analyze this particular passage is to draw a triangle and think of Father, Son, and the disciples. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the disciples. And how they relate to each other. Listen to what's being said. Because I think that Jesus is praying to the Father specifically about the disciples, his, his followers, but Jesus never changes. And so I think so much of what we read in this passage is actually also ha has an application to us. It means something for us. So let's hear what Jesus is saying. Deanna read it a moment ago, but, but let me go back to verse 6, where Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world Yours they were, and you gave them to me, 
and they have kept your word. In his prayer to the Father, we hear that Jesus revealed God the Father to disciples. I've manifested your name. I've revealed who you are to these disciples. And you can actually look in the Old Testament and there's story after story of God revealing himself. And so there was real insight even into his character. Lots of revelation in the Old Testament. There were burning bushes and there were voices and there were prophets and there was a cloud and there were a pillar of fire. But it's different. It's different when God was made flesh, when Jesus came. When Jesus camped out here, dwelling here, showing us what God looked like in the flesh. You know this, right? You live with someone. You get to know them. You see them. You see how they handle pressure. You see how they handle the best times of their life. You know who they are. And Jesus says, Father, I have manifested your name. I've revealed what your character is like. That's what's implied there with the word name, who you are, what you're like. I didn't leave these disciples scratching their head going, I don't know if I get it. And even if we don't completely comprehend all that God is, which we never will because we're human, we also don't have the license to just make it up as we go. Because Jesus has revealed who the Father is. Jesus shows us and tells us. But Jesus says something even more than that. He says, I have manifested your name, who you are, to those whom you gave me. So it's a very specific group that he's revealed who the Father is to, to the people whom you gave me, to a specific people. So we are attached to the Father. Did you notice what's said? We've been given by the Father. I'm not sure I'd really process this quite as deeply as I needed to. We have been given to Jesus from the Father. So we were the fathers in creation. And now the Father who loves these disciples so much says, I'm giving them to you, Jesus. And he says, I'm giving to them to you and they are coming out of the world. So there's kind of this dramatic conversion or break with the world. The disciples had come out of the world. So what is the world? It's the system, the values, the words, the ideas, the actions, the behaviors, the culture that is in either open rebellion against God or just in ignorance of his rule. It's that world system. And he said, I've called these disciples. They, they come out of the world. That's in the past. That no longer is meant to call the shots in their life while others are still of the world. And if you're of the world, you don't really have interest in Jesus. You don't think he tells the, the best story of what this life is all about or the truest story. And Jesus has no bearing on your life if you're kind of of the world. But he says, I've called them out. I've called them out of the world. And these disciples, in the end says, these are the ones who have kept your word. Remember, this is Jesus talking to the Father saying, they've kept your word. There's a level of obedience that involves listening and doing what Jesus said. And if he can say this of these disciples, that should give us such hope. Because these disciples are so far from perfect. It's just not funny sometimes how much they mess up, how little they comprehend at times. And if Jesus can say that about them, they have kept your word. Then he could say that about me. Even in my failing obedience, there's room for me to have a change of heart when I get it wrong. There is room for me to fall flat on my face and room for you 
And Jesus still loves you and Jesus still recognizes even in your failing obedience, you, you're keeping, your intent is to keep his word. There's room to hurt and doubt and fear. There's room to speak too soon at times like Peter did and sometimes room to speak too late. Jesus sees all of that and sees them and says, they are keeping my word. They've kept my word. And then there's this transition in verse seven. He says, now though, and that's a really important word. Now they know that everything that you have given me, verse 7, is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me. They have received them and they have come to know that in truth that I came from you. And they've believed now that you have sent me. And I'm praying for them. I'm, I'm, I'm not praying yet for all the world, Jesus could say. But I'm praying for those whom you've given me. For they're yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I'm glorified in them. Those words are so powerful, and I'm not sure we can understand them completely. But if we started by saying Jesus reveals God the Father to the disciples, we can now recognize that after their encounter with Jesus, these disciples were never the same. These disciples were never the same. It's not a cliche. It's not a cliche. That's the reality of the results of having encountered Jesus. Jesus would say, now they know. Whatever they didn't know about God the Father before, now they know. So much is packed into John 17. It would be easy to just kind of skim the surface and not really take in, which is exactly why we need to take some time here and understand, okay, well, exactly what did they know now? What did they comprehend now? Something about being around Jesus changed who they were. They were never the same. Change their values, change their opinions, change their hopes and their dreams. I'm fearful that most any time we could, we could just get caught up finding ourselves paying so much attention to sports and our entertainment and hobbies. We could get so caught up in the office gossip and politics, or even seasons like right now, we could be caught up into things like plans and phases of reopening and trade wars and civil unrest. And these things do, they grab and hold our attention and we can be consumed by this. And if we aren't careful as we are consumed by all these things that, that cry out for our attention, we can lose a vision of what Jesus is telling us. And it's, it's a, a recognizable thing in my life that I can easily binge watch a documentary. I can easily read a hot take and another one and another one and another one. I can easily be caught up in the latest controversy, but who is Jesus? He's saying, now they know exactly who I am, but do we? Has he made such a difference in our life that our attention is focused on him completely? The disciples were not the same because they had come to know that every word we hear from Jesus is from God, the Father. These disciples were not the same because they had realized that every word that comes from Jesus actually comes from God, the Father. That could not be said of me. It could not be said of you. Every word you say is just what God says. We're so far from that. It's not even worth, worth comparing. But when we know every word that comes from Jesus is from God that changes us because we draw life from his words. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth has authority in our life. You don't go against what God says unless you want misery in your life. 
He says in verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me is actually from you. And I've given them the words that you gave me. Jesus is saying, I'm not some sort of independent agent of information here, just kind of making up as I go. There are no inconsistencies with what I say and what God says. Because his words, my words, Jesus could say, are, are from God. This is an astonishing claim. The source of my words are from the Father, the ruler of the universe. And you have received them. Every other voice, every other word, every other book, every other post, every other tweet is subject to the authority of Jesus. That's why we love the words of Jesus. That's why we love the words of the apostles who are commissioned to write as witnesses of the words of Jesus. Every word we hear from Jesus has come from God. This moves us out of trying to look high and low to collect wisdom here and wisdom here and wisdom here and kind of cobble it together and go, I think I like how this makes sense of my life. We're freed from that search. Where else are we going to go? The disciples said, you have the words of life. We're not left to just kind of navigate the universe. Oh, this feels right to me right now. No, this not so much. This is what everybody says seems to be right. At least this group of people. And they seem to be okay. We have a different source of authority. How are you going to make the world a better place? How do you treat people? How do you atone for the sins that you know you've done and I know I've done? How do you endure strife and hardship? How do you handle mistreatment? How do you do what's right? How do you know what's right to do in the first place? What is life all about? For these disciples, their guidance came from Jesus. And ours has to come from him as well. Keep reading. Jesus in his prayers says, I've given them the words that you gave me. They've received them. And they've actually come to know in truth that not just that my words came from you, but that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. You sent me with a commission. The disciples were not the same because they also realized Jesus truly has come on a mission from God. Jesus was a human, but he is able to say, I come from God himself. So that's very, very different than how you might track your genealogy on Ancestry.com. I come from God himself. And when those first disciples put their entire trust in him, when they began to pattern their life after him, they were able to say, he comes from God. So when he says, believe, we believe. He comes from God. When he says, rely on me and trust, we trust. He comes from God. When he says, repent, we repent. When he says, follow me, we follow. When he says, you must be born again, you know what? We must be born again. Because he comes from God. When we recognize the authority Jesus has, it really puts, even as Chris mentioned a, a moment ago, the infinite worth of God's perfections on display in our life. That's why Jesus could say, all mine are yours, yours are mine. And I, I mean, think about these 11 disciples who are around Jesus. I am glorified in them. And if he could be glorified in those disciples, I'm positive he could be glorified with your life. We've read for several weeks and gotten the sense that Jesus is giving kind of his final words. He'll use language to tell us that kind of his physical presence with the disciples, it would be changing. And, and we've, we've looked at that. We've talked about that. He's used words like, 
I've accomplished what I came to do. He, He said, now I am going to the Father. Only here he says, I'm coming to you, Father. He's speaking. He's praying to God, the Father. He says, I'm coming to you. So there's a change, and the disciples know it. They're processing all this. And most change makes us unsettled for a while, makes us uncomfortable. That's why a move makes us uncomfortable. That's why a new boss, a health scare, a health status change is uncomfortable. That's why the whole issue with the virus makes us uncomfortable. The disciples could easily be unsettled. And he says, things are changing. And coupled with that is the disciples are beginning to realize that they are in all kinds of danger. Danger? Really? Yeah, they're really in danger because people have lined up against Jesus. And if they've lined up against Jesus, what do you think they're going to do with its followers? They're in danger because they're in a weakened place. Even there's an old proverb, you strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. There's also a real chance that there might be all sorts of internal misunderstandings. Eleven disciples could think eleven different things. We know that, right? We could have differences of opinion different priorities. And Jesus, who knows exactly what's in their hearts and in what, what's our hearts, he doesn't worry, but he does pray. He doesn't worry, but he does pray. And he says in verse 11, I am no longer in the world. So again, he's going to be back with the Father. But he says, these disciples, Father, they are in the world. I'm coming to you. So Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you've given me. That they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. But that was that the scripture might be fulfilled. But I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Here's Jesus saying, for the last three years, Father, I've kept them. I've protected them. I've guarded them. I've looked out for them. And now I'm leaving. And now you keep them. It's like the person who believes they've done all that they can, all that they've been called to do, and they, they move on and they're handing off that responsibility of care and protection to someone else. In these words, we find Jesus saying something profound. Again, I know John 17 is dense and kind of packed full. But what's being said is that it actually takes the love of Jesus to keep us spiritually safe. And it actually takes the loyalty of God the Father to us to keep us spiritually safe. And what we know even through this prayer is that both Son and Father are committed to keeping us spiritually safe and secure. Both Son and Father are committed to keeping you spiritually safe. Why do I keep saying spiritually safe? Because there's no guarantee of physical safety in the Bible. We know enough by reading the story of Paul, reading the story of uh, Daniel and David and Joseph and John and even Jesus. We know there's no immediate guarantee that nothing will ever harm you physically. You'll be, you, you'll, you'll be perfect forever, no problem. Physically, there's not a promise, but spiritually, that's a different matter altogether because Jesus is praying, Father, keep them in your name. Everything that you've revealed through me of who you are, keep them in that. Keep them resting in that. The world is a spiritually dangerous place. Jesus is praying for them to be kept and protected and guarded. And I think he would be praying for you as well to be kept and protected and guarded. 
Jesus says, while I, while I was with each one of these 11, I, I was guarding them, but now I'm going. Now, Father, you guard them. Why is it such a dangerous place, this world? Why do we need to be kept spiritually safe by our Heavenly Father? Well, this world is filled with evil. So he's praying, Lord, keep them from evil, the things that would ruin and wreck us. Keep them from falling away, from following the way that just seems right to us in a moment. Keep them, keep these disciples, keep us from false teaching, from teaching that it's counter to the truth. But boy, it really appeals to our, our flesh and our pride. Keep us from being overcome by temptation, that thing that seems to distract us and draw us in. And it seems like, man, this doesn't have a lot of downsides, has a lot of upsides, and it tempts us. Keep us from that temptation. Keep us from being crushed by persecution, from physical and emotional and mental pain. Keep us from every device and every assault of the devil, as one pastor put it, because we know the devil has come to steal and kill and devour or keep us from whatever evil plans that would not be for our good and not be for the Lord's glory, the things that would just pressure us beyond measure. Keep us from all that. Jesus is praying that the Father would keep us. And the good news for you, the good news for me, is that God is committed to doing that for us. God is committed to doing that for us. We have a Father who doesn't change and he doesn't grow tired of making sure that your faith and my faith doesn't get lost. He gave us, we read it earlier, right? He gave us to Jesus so that we would not perish, but that we would have eternal life. He will not let our souls be lost. He will answer this request of Jesus and no one that is in his hand is going to be plucked out of his hand. We have a father who will keep us. We, we also, by the way, we have a son, his son, Jesus, who demonstrated that we were, even while we were sinners, he would complete his task of offering his life as a sacrifice for us. We will not be lost. All those who would believe in him, trust in him and trust themselves to him. He's interceding for us. Hebrews would say his blood speaks a word on our behalf. And the word it's speaking is case closed. This is my child. They will not be lost. Jesus is praying, Father, keep them. And the answer is going to come. They will be kept. We will be kept. And if that wasn't enough, we also have the Holy Spirit sent from both Father and Son. And this Holy Spirit is sent to seal us. He seals us for God's eternal glory, but also to work inside of us and assure us, you are God's child. You can boldly pray to your Father. You can boldly go in the name of Jesus to your Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We will be kept. And as we close, Jesus prays for the Father to protect. And you can even see what goals he has in mind because he says, Lord, keep them. Father, keep them. Keep them together. They need to stay. This is the goal. They need to stay as one. I'm praying that you keep them so that they would stay together as one. There's a threat that these 11 and all of us ever, ever since them would splinter instead of striving kind of side by side together in this, we would strive against each other. We'd turn on each other and we'd argue with each other and we'd be stubborn and we'd dig in and we'd lose the cause of God's glory in the process. He says, I'm praying that they, you keep them, Lord, so that they would be one. We'll talk more about this as we keep reading in John 17, but this word could not come at a better time for the church of Jesus Christ. We have been made one. 
Lord, keep us, protect us, guard us, keep us in your name so that we can with one voice represent you to the world. Jesus prays with the goal that they would be one, but he also prays with another goal. And you see it in verse 13. He says that my joy would be fulfilled in them. Or if you just want another way of saying it, that my joy would just be maxed out in their life. Filled to the full. They would know what it's like to wake up every day, even when things are hard and know. Yet things may be hard, but I have Jesus. There's a threat. There's a threat. And Jesus knows it that they could lose all hope, that they could lose all joy. There's a threat that they would lose focus. They would forget the purpose and point of everything. Their life with Jesus, their life in Jesus might be just a grind growing worn out and doing good. And he prays, Lord, guard them because they may end up going, what's the use? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Give them joy, fill them with joy, max it out. Lord, keep them. Lord, keep us. I think of how different I am from Jesus in so many ways. I'm just so positive that my inclination, if I knew what Jesus knew, that this night, how this night would unfold, how the next 24 hours would unfold for him. I think if I knew that, I would mainly think of myself. I would mainly be frustrated with people that would abandon me and betray me. And I would just be kind of turning in thinking, what a night this is going to be. But Jesus talks to the Father for you and me. If it were me, even at my best, I probably would, I guess, maybe think of some succession plan, some logistics, okay, maybe this person can do this, and maybe you do that, and maybe, you know, let's keep this thing going, guys. And Jesus has such a different reaction than I I would have. Jesus chooses the best route. He prays. He prayed for them and he prays for us. And today, 2,000 years later, with all confidence, I'm saying we are still being held in the Father's hands. Just like Jesus prayed. Can I pray for us now? Oh Lord, I thank you for this word. We cannot improve upon the prayer of Jesus for us. But we just in agreement say, yes, Lord, keep us. We are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. So keep us, guard us, protect us. Guard our church that we would be one. Guard our church that our our joy would be maxed out even though many have suffered so much that our joy would increase and we would show unity and joy to a world around. Oh Lord, only you could do this. And Father, do this for the glory of your name and the glory of your son. So we ask it in his name. Amen.